What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Stable Cyclist Podcast, where we talk about bikes, mentality, and most importantly, mental health. My name is JP, and I'm your host, and this week I'm joined by friend and longtime ultra-endurance professional Kelly McGelkey. We'll talk about becoming a professional athlete as an adult after never playing a sport your entire life. We'll talk about what it's like to race 24-hour races, and we'll dig deep into what it's like to fail at the goals we set and how to navigate the mental stress that can come with it. Let's bring Kelly McGelkey into the studio. Well, Kelly McGelkey, uh, we just saw each other a week ago, not to date this straight out of the shoot, but at the uh, Medora premiere of the documentary that is not public yet, but will be. It is good to see you again. Uh, my friend, we did not get enough time together because of weather and families and a lot of people wanting our time, but it's good to see you, man. It's so good to see you too. And that was a really, really special, uh, special night. And of course, I think we both knew going in, we were not going to be talking much just because there's a lot of people to catch up with and are asking you a million questions, but super special night. Cause my parents came with and we battled the roads, but it was a hundred percent worth it. For sure. And we will get back to your parents being there towards the end of this conversation. Um, Maybe the most uh, incredible moment for me of that whole production that we'll talk about in a little bit. But you're from Dickinson, North Dakota, originally. And other than Andy Hampston, I can't think of any other professional bike racers out of North Dakota. Um, And so how did you get from being this kid from Dickinson to being this professional who lives uh, near Denver, Colorado? Yeah, I, you know... Kind of simply put, um, I, yeah, I was never athletic growing up just because, you know, I, I mentioned this in the film, but I, you know, we didn't have time to do sports and that wasn't a negative thing. That, that was just something that, you know, I worked for my dad and, um, but also, you know, something that I do like sharing with people is I felt super intimidated. I, you know, I'm not built to be a football player. I was never good at basketball. So when you're in a small community, you you know, the, the value, your value is like, how good are you at sports? You know, it seems like everyone's dad or their parents, you know, it's like, is that kid, is he on the basketball team? You know? And so I just never felt like I had a place. Um, and so that wasn't, I never chewed on that too much. It was just, that was just the way it was. And so, um, when I moved to Colorado, I moved, I was moving here to be a snowboard instructor. Um, my best friend uh, in high school, we had made this pact. We we're going to move to Aspen together. Um, and he ended up tragically dying in a, in a car accident when I was a junior. And, but that, that thought had always stuck with me. I moved to, to Denver and um, his brother, older brother, Micah was like, you can stay on my couch. And he had a mountain bike there and he was super into mountain biking, just reading mountain bike magazines. And I'm like, I'm like, that's cool. Like a full suspension bike like that exists. And he was like, yeah. And then his, his, uh, wife at the time was like, you know, she had a mountain bike and he goes, why don't you take, why don't you take her bike out and, and give it a ride? You know? And I, and so I did it and I, it was just something totally extreme to me. You know, I was like, this is so different, but it was really fun. Cause I wasn't working when I got here, <laughs> you know, I was trying to, trying to find a job. Um, and, uh, What's interesting is when I started riding a bike seriously a few years later, um, people just kind of, I look back on this with just bewilderment because people would just come up to me that didn't know me and they'd be like, man, you, uh, you like can go up a hill fast, you know, do you, do you ever think about racing? And I'm like, no, like that's, uh, Lance Armstrong does that, you know? 
And, but people kept saying that. And so, um, and I just kept riding cause I loved it. And, and going uphill to me, I didn't realize it felt easy. I just was like, this is what you do. You know, all the trails here are, are straight up. And, you know, one thing led to another and, and people started to talk me into going out to, you know, do a bike race and I would, you know, I would do terrible. But then, uh, when I was working at a coffee shop, a bunch of professional cyclists would come in Olympians, world champions. And they were just, what can I do to help you? Um, they would like laugh. I'd be like, you know, I threw up at mile one and they're like, what? <laughs> what did you do to warm up? And I'm like, warm up. I had a couple of Snickers bars and hit the trail and they're, they're like, no, no, no. And so, um, ultimately what, what really got me from, from just being a weekend warrior to, to racing and, and excelling in racing are these people who became, I say unofficial coaches, but they were a hundred percent officially my coaches, but they were just people donating their time and talent. Um, and, this is just being open to meeting people. It's just a lesson that I've learned is, is like, I love hearing people's stories. And there was a woman named Mary who was a two time Olympian from Australia. And when I got to know her, I was like really starstruck because she had been to the Olympics and she had won every North American race that year. And she one day was like, do you want to go for a ride next week? I was like, yeah. She's like, well, meet me at six thirty in the morning. You know, the bottom of the, you know, golden gate Canyon. It's like January, you know, I'm like, it's dark. She's like, well, if you're not there, I'm heading up. Cause I don't want to wait in the cold, you know? And one thing led to another. And, uh, I was able to just, you know, excel a lot. And then, um, I, f I just found I had a talent to go uphill and I was very efficient at doing it. And people would be like, I don't know how you can go uphill so fast. And that just kind of gave me the confidence. And so it's just kind of these, these, um, these people who kind of kept me in my lane a little bit, you know, and, and, uh, and kind of at one point I just looked back and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm, I'm, I have a pro license. I mean, there's a lot in between there, but you know, it was just, that's kind of how just people guide me along. Yeah. So you said you didn't play any high school sports, um, for various reasons. Was, was there some anxiety when all of a sudden you are, you find yourself like, I, Hey, I have a pro license and you know, Today we think about whether it's our own kids playing sports or whether it's sports I'm coaching or involved with, like, oh, we're teaching these kids all these soft skills they need in life to survive in these bigger situations. And you end up as a with a pro license and you've never had any of these experiences. Did you feel you were missing some of those just like ways to think about situations or had all these other life experiences you had had with your dad doing car stuff and various other activities prepared you in a different way? Uh, I've had no anxieties about it at all. I think that's a really good question. I think especially in society now, you know, we, we are specializing kids in sports early on and, um, but, and, and I understand the benefit of kids going into multiple sports. I, I love that our kids are playing soccer and doing things, but yeah, I never, I think the nature of the sport, um, I know you know this, it's kind of one of those things where like, you can't have a coach bench you, you know, you can't, there's no politics. It's like the cream will rise to the top. You either have the talent to go uphill or downhill at a certain speed or not. And so you, if you push all that aside, you know, uh, people were just like, man, you, you have this natural talent to do this. And I, I mean, even to this day, even the fact we're talking right now on this podcast, I, I just feel like, 
I, I really, I know I've said this to you a lot, but I can't believe it. I, I feel like I'm still a new cyclist. <laughs> I still am shocked every time, you know, if I win a race, you know, and I've just been enjoying it so much. I just, it's like every time I'm like, man, I can't believe that happened. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, but it's a, it is a really good question because when you ask that, and I was thinking about that just now, I'm like, man, yeah, no, I, I, I just, it was almost good to refresh and kind of move away from the anxiety of like, oh man, am I going to fail miserably in this, this team sport or something that I never had confidence in, you know? Yeah, for sure. So you start out and obviously you do not start out as a 24 hour ultra endurance guy. You start out racing XCO and you have some early success. Um, I believe you were second at Sea Otter one of the years. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, it wasn't, that wasn't in the, the X, the final XC, but it was in, it was in one of the, the qualifiers, which was, you know, we were still okay. racing against like the best guys in the country. I mean, that, yeah, that was a cr good, huge result for me. Sea Otter has been Sea Otter for a long time and it is, yeah. it is the deal. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so how do you go from being XCO guy to being 24 hours? Because that, ha that progression happened pretty quickly. Like, I think a lot of people think it happened over years, but you have that really great result in 2007 at Worlds in 24 hours. That's not long after you've become a pro. So how did that transition yeah. happen? Um, naivety. There, there's a huge, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a, uh, the naivety of the challenge itself. Um, I think this is probably what has benefited me and, and a lot of other people. Um, I'm not a super analytical person, but I just was like, I want to go do this race and I want to go fast. You know, I'm not interested in like surviving it. And I'm like, I wonder what people are going to do when you go off the gun hard and then just go as hard as you can for 24 hours. And then it's funny because that was all during that time If people, you know, like I think John Stamstead and all these people, early people would be like, if you survive and continue to pedal, you're going to win, you know? And in those years, in like 05, 06, 07, is when people were like, oh, it's on. Like the gun goes off and you get into position and you go. And it feels like a cross-country race. And, I, you know, I all these people will kind of criticize me for this. But um, I think a lot of those people that criticized me about that had never done a 24-hour solo race and finished on the podium. And, and uh, it's just – it's really hard, you know. And my style of racing is like I kind of want to be in control in the beginning. You know, I don't need to be off the front or anything. But um, so it was like interchangeable to me because then I would just go back and race a full cross-country uh, race, you know, in the middle of the season. Um, I'd never stopped doing that. And all most of my wins came from cross-country races. You know, they're a good amount of 100-milers and 50-milers. But um, – yeah, so I just I kind of took the uh, mentality of being a cross country racer and just applied it to twenty four hour racing. It's it's gone catastrophically wrong at times, but it's it's also breeded some success too. Yeah, for sure. So so I mean, you you just said like you race the twenty four hours just straight from the gun. Uh, what I believe a lot of people that have never done a twenty four hour race want to know is like, who cares about the first six hours? I think a lot of people who race endurance stuff know what that first six hours feels like. My guess is most people who have not raced 24 hours but have dabbled in endurance stuff are really curious about hours 6 to 24 and specifically yeah. about hours 18 to 24. Yeah. 
So what, what is it? What is that like? Especially, I guess, racing through the night is something that is really intriguing to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, it's interesting because you there's a lot of pulling yourself out of a out of a dark place. Uh, one of my favorite favorite trail runners is Courtney Dolalter, and she talks about chiseling away at the pain cave. Um, there's no glorifying or you know nothing glamorous about like. When you're out in the, at hour eight, even if you're out in the lead of a 24 hour race, it's lonely. You're tired. You constantly are like, why did I, why am I doing this? It doesn't matter. Why, you know, like, why, what if I just stop? Yeah. Um, and those are the moments where you just kind of have to tell yourself, you know, like you, you got to keep going and then you'll, you'll talk to some people on trail, you know, you'll, so you go through this roller coaster, um, and a lot of times the biggest mental component that I, w I hope a lot of people understand if they hear this is that, um, I, I call this like the, it's like the, the time, uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's how you kind of relate to time. So if I do a 12 hour race, I, I don't think I can do another mile after 12 hours. If I do a 24 hour race, I don't think I could do another mile after 24, but at mile thir or hour 13, I'm still cruising along, you know? And so a huge part of this is the mental game, um, but it's just making sure in those low moments, you know that you're going to come through that. I just did a, I'm, you know, 44 now, but I did a, a, a training camp earlier in, in uh, April and I was going through a pretty low point on the White Rim out in Moab and, and one of my best friends, uh, Josh Allen, who's one of my big training partners for a long time, he was like, Hey man, you're going to get through it, ride through it, ride through it. I know it's dark right now. It's okay. It's going to be dark for a bit, but you just go to the, you just ride through it, you know, and that time you don't really feel like you're going to, but you do, you know, and all of a sudden, like 30 minutes later, you're like, man, that was a rough patch, you know? So in a 24 hour race, you gotta, you gotta know you're going to come to the other side. Um, you also have to keep focusing on drinking and eating kind of gives you something to do. And then when you get towards the end of the race, you just, you want nothing more. Well, really quick to go back to the night thing, the night riding, I have a huge bone to pick with people. I, I so many people are like, oh, at night I go way faster. And I'm like, then you're not going fast enough during the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, I'm always, maybe if you're a runner and you're running at night, but I, I'm like, there's no way because you just can't see, no matter how good of lights you have, you, you can't see like you need to see when you're flying downhill, you know? Um, and so, but riding at night is really fun. But when you're tired and in a 24 hour race, you see things all the time. I, I, this is universal. I think for most people, but I see stuff jumping out from behind rocks. I'll see people or whatever and that, that aren't there. It's the weirdest thing. That's the only time that actually happens in my life, but it, it happens when I'm riding at night. And then you realize when you start to see first light, you, that energy, it's like you hadn't been riding your bike. You know, you do like a sunrise lap. I think everyone who's done a 24 hour race understands the sunrise lap is the one lap you look forward to the absolute most. And that gives you a whole shot in the arm. And then your crew is like, you only have five more hours and you're like, Oh, and that takes you right back to like a five hour ride is a super long ride for me, <laughs> you know, but you got to take that out of your head. So you just, it's just a constant, like battle you know it's it's just trying not to think too negatively and then when you're a ride in a high let's say you get some caffeine and you're just like this is i love this trail it's so fun you you kind of have to tamper that down too 
and just keep your powder dry. You know, you're like, we got, this is a marathon. We need, we need to save our energy. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. And every time I do them, I don't think I'm going to do another one, you know? Um, and then all of (laughs) a sudden I'm signing up for another one, but yeah. Yeah. So that, that self-talk you're talking about of getting yourself out of that hole, is that like, you've done a lot of these. So is that something you practiced outside of the race? Did you practice that kind of thing in training? Maybe not conscious, like not like a plan that I'm going to go out and self-talk myself today, but are you working on those skills that, you know, in this kind of racing, I have to do it. Yeah, I do on big, big training rides. I I think the number one thing than, than doing something that like you could, you could actually do or physically do. I just tell myself, I'm like, I'm going to feel like this several times, probably in the 24 hour race. And if I'm training and or leading up to something like that, even a hundred mile race, I'm like, no matter how fit I am, no matter what is happening, you're going to hit some low points where you come around a corner and you feel like you're crawling and then you start to go down this dark place. And so the number one thing I do when I'm out on a training ride and I feel that way is like, you're going to feel this way. And then you got to ask yourself, do you, do you want to go do the race? Because it's in the lowest time, you know, where it's like, I don't really want to feel this way. Um, and you know, I always, you know, I, I, I love the challenge of coming out of that, but I always think like, could it be food? Could it just be this? Or will I just ride myself out of it? You know, but, um, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing I do is just take a mental note of like, you know, it's easy to talk about it when you're on the couch or, you know, with your buddies drinking coffee, you're like, man, I can't wait. It's going to be so hard, you know? And then when you are in that place where it's really hard, it's really dark. You're like, I don't want to continue, you know, for sure. How, how did Kelly, how did you learn how to do that? How did you learn that self-talk other than just like getting in that place in a race and be like, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. Or did you have some coaches or did you like, I think that's what a lot of people don't know how to like go about learning those kind of skills they need to survive a, a race like a 24 hour race or a really epic hundred miler. Oh man, I, this is, this is something that I absolutely love talking to people about, even if they're not athletes or cyclists, you know, I talked to my, my co-producer about this where I, I don't, man, I can't assume that I will tell somebody my experience and that they'll be, you know, I can be like, you just need to ride through it. You know, I used to be naive and think like, you're, you know, you're just not tough enough or, you know, I never really thought that, but kind of, it would go through my mind. I'm like, well, you're just not tough enough. And then I realized, I think my upbringing, I think there are things in my life that weren't super easy uh, and not like, we're not talking like a traumatic thing or anything, but it was just, you know, having my parents get divorced at an early age or, you know, and then having to go back and forth or both parents, like my, my, my stepdad, you know, who I referenced as my dad all the time. Um, and my mom worked opposite schedules. So I'd be waiting outside after school and it's freezing cold, you know, and, and that's an important moment. You know, you're 15 years old sure. or 14 or 13 and you're like, you know, everybody else got picked up and what are you going to do? You can't complain. You know, who are you going to complain to, you know, and I respect my parents so much. And I, you know, I, I knew that they were never going to do anything on purpose, but it was just, they're, they're surviving, you know? And there was a lot of those moments in my life. And I feel like when I got into the being, an, you know, the cycling side of being an athlete, I, f- I felt like I was, it was a privilege to be able to do what I was doing at that moment. And it was very hard. 
and I would also think about those times or whatever to be like, there's no way out, um, no way out of this, but, but through, you know, and, you know, and I just, I don't know, it's kind of weird, you know, and I, I wish I had a, I'm sure some doctor could definitely tell me or some therapist could tell me exactly where that is. And, and, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's funny. You know, I, I just, people, my wife will sometimes we'll talk about this and, and she knows this about me, but I'm like, I'm not the hardcore dude. Who's like, I need this. I need the hard challenge. You know, I'm like, I want to be comfortable. I want to drink my tea and just sit here in a warm <laughs> studio with a Christmas tree. Yeah. But, uh, but but there's something I love about it makes me feel alive and it, it brings so much joy to my life because I like problem solving. You know, a lot of that is problem solving and yep. it's just maybe I'm wired that way to, to be like, you know, we can get out of this and I'm not, there's no one to complain to, you know, I don't know if that For was sure. a good answer or not, but well, that, that was great, man. And I think that's the point of like a lot of the, the guests I'm going to have on here. Like these are questions that like, your answer isn't the right answer for everybody and that's okay right like that that's the beauty of mentality and talking about how the mind works and mental health and all of that so yeah you you start having a lot of success in those 24-hour races and you head off to the world champs and in uh 07 the race is in monterey bay i believe that's correct and uh you you talk about how you like to lead from the gun and in that one, you led from the gun uh, in an epic battle with Tinker Juarez. And you led until like half a lap to go in the 23rd hour or the 24th hour, however we want it. Basically, yeah. you led till almost you couldn't. And then Tinker got you at the end. And take us, I guess, take us through that day. And then I want to dive into like the mindset post that day because i think that's way more important than whatever happened uh, I, i'm yeah i'm i'm with you on that um yeah it, you know this i felt super good going into this race i felt i was like man if i'm ever gonna win one it's gonna be now you know i think i was coming off a year right i think i got sixth the year before uh in georgia and monterey is beautiful and you can see the ocean at the top so i just knew i was in this really good spot and um the Aust- there was a bunch of Australians coming over and there was so much talk on social media. They're, they were going to dominate. Like their goal was like, if they didn't win, if they didn't sweep the podium, it was a failure. And I was like, geez, these guys are like ready. And I was really intimidated by that, but I was like, wow, we'll see what happens. That's why we line up. And, um, the race and, and Nat Ross was there. Who's also kind of a big hero of mine. He's like a six time national champion. I mean, he's crazy, um, crazy fast rider. Uh, and so, you know, the race goes and, and, um, I found myself kind of out front and I was feeling good. I wasn't working super hard, but it was really hot, really, really hot. And I could handle heat really well for some reason. Um, my crew was totally dialed. I'd come in and they would, they were kind of pushing the rules, I guess. We didn't really know the rules, but they would like people on each end of the pit with like a gallon of like freezing cold water just jump it over my head. You know, my, uh, my, my. Nick Howe, like my kind of pit master for, you know, head, head pit guy there. My cousin was able to make it. So Nick was there, but Nick was like, we got to keep his core body temperature down. And that was like a game changer. But then the race director came over like, you can't do that. He's going to get disqualified if you, you got to stay within your 10 foot thing. And so we just kind of, you know, on the fly, we're constantly like adjusting, but Tinker, man, that guy can handle heat too. Um, 
And so we were just together riding and I had never really had a conversation with Tinker. He was just a huge hero of mine at that point. Um, he's one of the reasons why I got into mountain biking. He looked super cool. You know, him and Travis Brown kind of brought some rock and roll or kind of good vibes, you know, good, you know, you just look at them and I'm like, these guys look awesome. And, um, and so I was in front of Tinker for, yeah, like you said, he, he never went in front of me. He never drafted off of me because he, he likes to follow and stalk people. Um, and, uh, you know, there were times where he was struggling. There were times where I was struggling, but yeah, I was really starting to, to fall apart, not fall apart, but I was like starting to just get to the end of my fuel tank, you know, uh, at like hour 22, 23, I think he sensed that and he just threw everything he possibly could into an attack. And I tried to follow him and I, I just, there was nothing left, you know? Um, yeah. And I, you know, I rolled in, I rolled in second place, um, which you know, I, I went there to win it. Um, but I didn't. And, uh, I felt, um, you know, these moments where like, you know, you don't, you come so close to winning and that was your goal and you'd spend all this time training and, you know, it's just all this money and all whatever, you know, even though I had a lot of resources, it was still an expensive endeavor all around, you know? And, um, and people are out there to they fly out there, they rent cars, all the stuff. Um, so the first part of this is, you know, not, not winning it and getting second, man, I actually felt great. I was like, I did everything I could. And I had a battle with my hero and he just beat me the better rider won. And it's, you know, I'm, it's, profoundly disappointing in certain ways because man, a world, you know how cool it is to say you're a world champion. You know how not cool it is to say you're second place at the world championships. Some people, I think it's still cool, but you know, it's way cooler to be a world champion, but man, the second part of that, you know, uh, is it's, it is really disappointing, but oftentimes, uh, I think, the sickness inside would come from you feeling like you're letting everybody down. Sometimes I can feel that way. And, and I know that I'm not letting anybody down. Cause if I flip that and it's my friends who are going out there and they had this epic battle and they ended up second, I'm like high fiving. But if, if they come into the pit acting like a piss ant or whatever, you know, they're just like so negative and I'd be like, that's just ugly, man. That just doesn't look good on you. And so I had that from number the first race I've ever done in my life. I, I had this mentality of like, cause I'd see other people, you know, out on the trail, you know, after a race, just their wives are there and they're just throwing their bike down. I'm like, Whoa, we're just racing. We're riding bikes, man. You know? And when you go to a world championship, there's a lot on the line and, you know, doing it as a pro, but at the same time, man, I'm like, I did what I could. There's nothing else I could have done. It was a great day. We'll come back. We'll yeah. try it again. You know? Yeah. So I, I've had people in my corner that helped sort of solidify like your, your self-worth is not in your results. And you know what? It was a super fun, um, it was a super fun night that night. And I felt proud on the drive pride, you know, pride on the drive home. Just thinking about how I, I fought with that. Um, and some, some real quick story. One, something that sticks out in my mind is, is my stepdad was a, 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 a champion car race, stock car racer. And he's a very quiet man and he's very professional about what he, what he does. And he's won so much. And one year he goes, I'm going to win the championship and like, or he wasn't, he, his goal was to win the championship in our hometown and then a town a hundred miles away. And he was leading both all season. And on the last season, 
he was so close in this town 100 miles away and it was the last night and it was kind of in the like he had it in the bag and somebody spun out in front of him and totally took him out and took out the car and which means he ended up second and you know he fought all season and everyone was mad i was mad you know i was a little kid i was angry about it the pit crew was pretty mad and then my stepdad was just very quiet and then driving home and he was just like hey man we did what we could and i just could not believe that he said that i just i was like my brain just it short-circuited and then kind of rewired you know and then it was just business as usual being you know being a dad and going back to work and i was like there's you know it's nothing really changed you know had he won or not won it would have been fun but so that stuff just kind of i can i can handle that i can handle losses a lot but i think that's that's through a little bit of therapy through a lot of really good people in my life and that's probably the thing i'm most thankful for actually yeah for sure i was i was gonna ask you like how you know aside from like a, a moment with your with an influential adult with your dad like that that's going to be huge as a kid but obviously you still get to be an adult and you're still a really competitive guy like I, i've witnessed that you know um and so like uh and not in a negative way by the way but just I, like i've i've seen it right i've lined up next to you uh multiple times and how as an adult did you get to that point? Because I don't think you just, like I've also heard you talk about like, it was my job to win, I had to teach myself to win, that's what I had to go do, end of the sentence. So like, how did you transition to that where like, well, that's, that's the best I could do. If that's not good enough, it's not good enough. And, and saying like, well, my self-worth isn't in this yeah. when you also are a professional and it's your job to go and win. Like that is like two opposite yeah. like dichotomies that you, you had to cross. How did you, how did you cross that void? Yeah. Well, and I'll say first, I think there are other riders out there in the, in the pro ranks that actually, you know, they, everything about their livelihood is on the line. And, and so I, I'm, I haven't had that per se, you know, I've always had a, a sure. dual career. Um, so sure. just off the top that, you know, that, that changes things a little bit, but yeah, sure, man. It, it, um, it is, it is tough. It is. Yeah. You're not coming out of the womb being like, I don't care if I lose, you know, even though I fought so hard to get here and won races, you know, um, there are races where I've been in the lead by like a minute and a half and I flatted on a brand new tire. You know, there was a year where my tire sponsored that they, they had a really bad batch of tires and they were, they admitted it, you know, they're like, we're just going to send you more. And I'm like, that doesn't help if I'm flatting, like I'll put a new one on after the race, but like, you know, um, and I've had a, a few of those where I'm, I'm like, man, I could have won that. And, and, uh, yeah. And you're, you're kind of gutted about that. You know, you're, there are those times where it, you know, it's just, you know, I sit and kind of wallow a little bit. Um, there've been some times on the Mata Hay trail, you know, that everyone there is like, well, Kelly's going to come and win, you know? And, and I'm like, that's a really hard race to win, you know? And sometimes, you know, you're like, man, did I let everybody down, you know? And, and, um, I think as it, as things got a little, they progressed more before, you know, I got to a later part of my career. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's kind of funny we're talking about this because I'm, 
something maybe we haven't chatted about ever is that I'm like the most nervous racer there is, you know, I can't eat like two days leading up to a race. I'm like terribly nervous. And I guess that tells you right there that I want to do well, <laughs> you know, or I know how much pain I'm going to be in, in a mountain bike race. Cause they're very painful, but you know, and, and I, people would see that. So when I was right in the throes of just starting to win, because you know, coaches are like, you need, once you learn how to win, that'll beget winning, you know? And, and it's, it's so true. You know, it's getting that first win is so hard. I remember just breaking down in tears, coming across the line of my first ever pro win. And that was another one I had to fight for with a really good friend of mine. And, uh, and, but you know, I just, when I started to be able to, you know, win some races, every race was like, well, if I don't win. Then I'm kind of letting myself down, you know? So to your point, yeah, there, there was some of that. And then I'd kind of question like, what could I have done better? Did I fail? Did I not train enough? And do I weigh too much or whatever, you know, some of that stuff. Um, you know, it's like everything you go, that goes through your mind. And then, but people would see me doing that and they would see how nervous I'd get before races. And they would uh, really, one of my closest ever friends, this guy, George, who's kind of just, you know, huge, huge part of my life, huge mentor of mine, you know, he would be cavalier about things, you know, he'd be like, ah, well, you get him next time. And he was a bike racer, you know, he, but I was like, you know, he would always be like more, you care more about yourself than other people care about you. I mean, or you think about yourself in terms of this more than other people do. He's like, how many other people are you thinking about right now and how they did on their race? Or are you just thinking about your own race? Yeah. You're thinking about your own race. And so that really helped keep me on, on the road. You know, there are some guardrails there, but, um, yeah. And as time went on, you know, I, I'm kind of like the fact I ever won one race is a miracle to me. So, you know, if I'd have a bad race, it would just be a bad race. You know, if I just, I'd call it, but I, first thing I would do is go congratulate the person who won, you know, because we're all out there fighting, you know? And, uh, you just, I just, I, I never want to be that person coming into the pit area. That's just upset and throwing their bike. I've never done that. <laughs> Hey everybody, JP here with a quick interruption. If you are looking for more content in a similar vein, you can head over to the Stable Cyclist YouTube channel where I put out weekly content in the vein of bikes and mental health. Most exciting on the channel is the documentary Matahe, which follows Kelly and Tyler Huber as they threw haymakers at one another for 100 miles this past summer at the Matahe 100. The film drops on February 2nd, on the Stable Cyclist YouTube channel, so get over there and make sure you are subscribed. All right, enough of that. Back to the show. One thing I didn't have down here in a lot of detail, but um, it, that we should talk about, is just the importance of the Matahe 100 within the arc of your career. I think we would be uh, just, like, absent-minded to, like, skip over that. So, like... How did that race become such a big part of you? Because it isn't like it's very nearby where you grew up, but you didn't know about it growing up. That's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, because I wasn't even mountain biking or riding a bike, you know, before right. I moved right. to Colorado. So, yeah, when I, I knew about the trail, you know, because everybody talked about it, I'd gone out there. It was chunky. It actually wasn't all that fun, but I love the Badlands. So I had this like romanticized idea of what the Mata Hay would be, you know, and then you go out there and you're like, I can't even find the trail. So it kind of sucks, <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. and, uh, and then, um, 
but once once you know Nick Ybarra, you know that's that's a whole other whole other discussion. But you know, once Nick Ybarra got his hands on that and and his passion for that took over um, the trail, you know, it became a real something for me that it's like okay, well now I'm doing a lot of hundred mile races, and I feel like I I want to honor North Dakota, honor where I came from. My grandparents had to have a have land near there. You know, they my mom grew up on the south end of the near the south end of the trail. It just there's so much about the Badlands and Teddy Roosevelt and and just the beauty of that out there. And then and then the kind of spiritual aspect for me, just being out on the Matahe, um, yeah. kind of became this thing. Um, you know, where I was like, I, I feel like I need to be out. I need to be the guy out there going out there to win that thing, you know? And then, and then I go out there and, and I would get crushed, you know? I mean, I would get lost or, you know, or, or just not prepared. And people from Minnesota would come in and another guy that I knew from, from my pro days, early pro days would come out and win. And I was like, Whoa, this is way harder, you know? And then it became a bit of a puzzle for me. I'm like, I got to solve this puzzle because I know I can ride it faster but you know everything about that trail um everything about that trail to me is why i mountain bike you know it's there's no bro mentality there's no it's a very simple relationship for me because it's yeah. just brings me back to being in nature um yeah it just it's just one of these things where i was like i love this and it's absolutely so hard <laughs> you know to to go and win it is not a given you know not a given at all i mean i've had years where i'm under a tree falling asleep with heat stroke you know i mean pretty serious stuff and then and then years where you know we're getting some real fast times out there but um but to me it just reminds me of of home and it's for, it's funny every time I go out there, whether win or lose, I'm like, I want to do my best to honor my family and honor the people that put this on and just kind of honor like where I'm from. Um, not to sound existential about it, but that that's kind of where I, why it's become a, a really special thing for me, you know, and then I just want more people to show up and do it. And that that's, that's happening more and more. Yeah, for sure. And and to be clear to everybody, like you can easily find the trail now. Oh yeah. Uh, due, yeah. To, due to all the yeah. work, like no, we well, laugh about you couldn't find the trail in the past, but you can today very easily. Yeah. Well, I meant yeah, absolutely. I meant to say that because now you go out there and it, it's one of the most beautiful um I don't want to say pristine because that takes away kind of the ruggedness of it, you know. Yeah. It's not pristine, but it is it is a full-on adventure and it is now world class, and that uh, that's that's Nick and Lindsay Ybarra all the way, and their volunteers, you know, the people that volunteer with them. For sure, for sure. So finally, uh, you are as I as I stated at the beginning, we saw each other a week ago in Medora uh, at a film premiere, and you are one of the two featured main characters in this. Uh, documentary about this past year's Matahe 100, uh, and the doc will come out um, on th this channel uh, or on the Stable Cyclist YouTube channel uh, in February. Um, but, uh, and you don't need to speak about the film, Kelly. Uh, people can go find it themselves. But you and I have literally spent hours and hours talking about uh, North Dakota Badlands for the last four months. Um, we we've talked a lot too about how 
travel logistics can make things difficult for people trying to come there to race. But if if you were going to pitch to people why they should go do this amazing race in the Badlands, um, even even if it's a little bit difficult to get to, what is your elevator speech to them on why like everybody who has a mountain bike needs to get to this very incredible place? You will never, ever, ever forget your time out in the Badlands of North Dakota and on the Matahe Trail. Um, it's I've said this before. It's unlike anything I've I've ever done, and it is so special. And yeah, it might be a little bit of a challenge to get out there, but I think that's actually what makes it even more special. I think people don't find themselves in the area of the trailheads for the Matahe Trail. Um, and every single time somebody from Colorado or somebody from the other part of the U.S. that I know goes and does it, they're they're just they'll talk about it forever. Um, and it's, it's it's a bit of a life changing, not to sound grandiose, but it's a bit of a life changing experience out there. And it's just you just don't get that in a lot of places anymore. You know, it's so out there, but it is just so beautiful. And again, it, it's 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 worth spending a weekend and a little bit of money, you know, where we're, we're not here for very long, you know, and, and, um, you just, you, there's these places on earth that you should just go and do, especially when, when they're in your own country, but yeah, you, you'll never, ever, ever forget it. You, you can't replicate it anywhere else. You got to go. For sure. For sure. I agree completely. <clears throat> uh, I said at the beginning, there's like a favorite <clears throat> moment, um, at the premiere for me. Um, you were sitting next to me uh, in the film. Spoiler alert. Uh, you announce, apparently this is a spoiler for your mom as well. Uh, you announce that you are retiring uh, at the very end of this film from professional racing. And your mom whacks you on the arm and says, you didn't tell me you are going to retire. And I about fell off my chair. But, uh, um. I mean, it's, it's out in the open now, and, or it will be very much soon. Um, uh, how you know y- you are retiring and so like how do you want people to remember your legacy in this sport yeah, i mean that's a that's a really good question i you know and i and sometimes i'm like well nobody cares who, that i'm retiring because nobody really knows me you know some people do but but uh <clears throat> yeah i the people that i i think about often or remember um, I think very highly of all have something in common and they're, they're people that are kind. They're people that are open to other people. They went out of their way. They set ego aside and, and these are people largely who could have a huge ego. I mean, we all have egos, you know, but, um, but these people that I, I assigned a value to them, right? Like I'm like Mary, I'm like, you are an Olympian. And, and I think Mary's like, yeah, but I, you know, whatever. And she means that when she, you know, she's like, that doesn't make me any different, you know? Um, but I would find myself assigning values to, to people. But then at the end of the day, you know, all that, I'll be sitting around a table drinking coffee with, with people that are like, that I've always just kind of looked up to. And I've always thought like, man, I just want to like, if I can like affect one person, literally like i i'm always like man i i hope i can do that someday 
and you know may, maybe i have we all i'm sure all the relationships we all have in life you don't know how somebody takes what you've said to them and so i just try to make sure that i always say the the the, the right thing to to what i know to to everyone and um I just wish that I, I, I hope I can do that to somebody where somebody was like, yeah, that's cool that he'd like won these races or did this thing or whatever. But, um, you know, we all have a life to live and we all got to go back to, you know, our homes and go to bed at night. And, you know, and I just, I, I just always wanted to be this person that like, I felt like I was given this like talent, you know, to, to go ride my bike. And I felt like I've done, I've squeezed every ounce out of it that I possibly could, you know? And, uh, I just wanted to be able to kind of honor that too, you know, because I, you know, part of me does want to be like, you know, I, I want to make North Dakota proud essentially, but man, there's so many great cyclists there. So it's not like I'm, you know, there's just so many talented people there, but, um, yeah, I just, I just want to make sure that if people kind of look back on my cycling career, uh, they just, they realize like, well, he definitely wanted to keep passing this on from all the people that I've learned from that's just going to flow through me. Cause man, that was so important to have those people in my life. Sure. For sure. So the, the main thrust of, of <clears throat> this podcast of, of my YouTube channel, aside from bikes is mental health. And so the one thing I want to close out with is just, you've been riding with Gopher Graham now for four seasons. Yeah, three or four seasons. Somewhere yeah. around three or four. Yeah. yeah. Why is it so intriguing to work with them? And and aside from I know you have some friends that are within the group, but why is what the work that Will Stingley is doing so important? And we need more groups like this today. Yeah. And I I know I did not write this question down for you, Kelly, and yeah, I apologize. No, it's but. oh, this is this is man, I there, I think it. Uh, for me, I, why it's super important is on our jerseys, there's there's a logo on the side. It's, it has David Crimstock's name on it. He's a guy I raced with. I have a great photo of, of him and I on a podium together, and he's smiling, you know, and we're all, you know, I didn't, I didn't know him that well. Um, you know, he tragically is not here anymore, and that is the biggest reminder ever. You know, we're all out here playing on bikes and being in the dirt and stuff like that, and that's given me everything. I, you know, I've, I've said this to you, you know, I think cycling saved my life because I, I probably would not, I would not be where I am today. Who knows without it, that doesn't mean cycling is the end all be all, you know? So there's, there's a multi-layered, uh, you know, plan for, for people, you know, there, it's just, you, you have to have a community and go for Graham is just an, an incredible community. You know, I think it's, if what's great is like, I'll win a race and it'll just be part of like a, a Instagram post with a bunch of other cool news, you know? And I'm like, I love that, you know, cause they're not like, here's the guy who won this weekend, you know? I mean, they're proud of that, but, but you realize yeah. like, this is a very, very genuine and, and very powerful movement, you know, of, of, of just getting, awareness out there for, for people's mental health. Um, man, and I, I, even the older I get and, you know, I feel like I'm pretty lucky in that I've never dealt with too much, but dealt with some, you know, there's some stuff that runs in my family, you know, and, yeah. and just having a community to, uh, 
to reach out to. I did a, a keynote in, in Fargo not that long ago, which I saw you there in Fargo as well. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, reaching out to Will, just being like, hey, you know, I really want to, I want to talk about some stats, you know, just so people can wrap their head around it. Because we talk about it in these ethereal ways, you know, of like, get outside, you know, do the, you know, of course. But yeah. Yeah. to the mom who's, you know, dealing with all these kids and work, you know, and she's like, yeah, well, I, I did 30 minutes of yoga today and that's my workout for the week. You know, it's so there's a bigger discussion to be had with all of this and, and, um, a bigger focus needs to be put on some things that we can do that, that aren't only medicine aren't, aren't, isn't only, you know, get outside, it'll fix you. You know, it's just, it's just a big, yeah. big discussion that needs to be happening, you know? For sure. For sure. Well, and I think that's kind of why, why we're doing this, right? It's just to, show that two dudes who love bikes can be willing to discuss it and uh, see how it threads through our lives. So Kelly, yeah. thanks for your time today, man. I really like, I love any time we get to chat or hang out or have coffee, but uh, this was special and I appreciate you being our uh, first guest on the show here, man. Oh man, it's a total honor. It's always, always fun to chat with you, man. For sure. For sure. Kelly McGelkey, everybody. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening today. The Stable Cyclist Podcast is a twice-monthly show focusing on long-form conversations with friends I've met the past few years, and we will always talk about bikes, mentality, and when the situation is right, we will dive deep into mental health. You can also find me on Instagram at The Stable Cyclist and at YouTube with the same name. Have an amazing day. Thanks for listening, and remember you are loved.